Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's May 12th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House-Barbie and I'm here as always with my wonderful co-host Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Well, Matt, I have been better. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're all kind of feeling that. What a rough, what a rough week and yeah. what's felt like in particular a rough couple of months. And... Uh, not to be too gloomy. I can't see it getting a whole lot better anytime soon. Uh, we're, of course, referring to the markets uh, bleeding out on on all fronts, right? Yeah, um, it's it's been a wild ride. We've seen stuff like this before. Uh, I will say um, at like 2 a.m. at the bar that I was at last night in San Francisco, which is where I am right now, <laughs> um, my uh, the, the, the person that was like working at the bar asked me if she should sell her Bitcoin. <laughs> and oh, I was what? like, you know, this sounds so familiar. I could swear that there was a story from like the Great Depression I, era. I was just thinking <laughs> about that where the shoeshine uh, guy was like asking, giving stock tips or something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is so reminiscent. <laughs> is this the reverse? Does this mean we've, we found the bottom? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, well, I, I think what we're going to spend a huge chunk of this episode digging into is probably the biggest story of the past four or five, arguably ever in crypto, um, which is the UST stablecoin depegging that has been happening through this past week. Uh, just so many people have lost so much money and what we're going to do is we're going to really unpack the details on this and dig into what this actually means what's happened and what some of the ramifications of all this um are going to actually be so we're uh we're going to dive into this dig in we've got a few other uh, stories that we'll wrap up into and we'll jump into the the main story of the day right after this <laughs> If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn So Austin, we have a huge story that we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, uh, it's making a lot of waves. Terra has lost its peg and dropped to as low as 30 cents as of yesterday. Yeah, it's so let's uh, let's unpack this a little bit um, because I'm going to break this down for for those of you that are not familiar with the Terra ecosystem and UST and Luna um, so so that everyone can kind of understand this uh, from like high level basics without getting too granular and then understanding kind of what's happened and me and Austin will try and run through this together. So let, let me just let me just explain at a at a high level of what's what's happened here. So UST, which is a 
non-collateralized algorithmic stablecoin, I'll explain what that means in a minute, um, is part of the Terra ecosystem. It's one of the largest, or at least it was, one of the largest stablecoins in the whole market, pegged to the dollar, or at least that was its aim to be pegged to the dollar, had a market cap of around about 18 billion. So outside of USDC and UST, which are, well, uh, USDT, which is Tether, at least USDC is fully one-to-one backed by US dollar and is uh, audited on that. Tether is arguably backed one-to-one. UST is very, very different. So instead of having collateral where you would say, okay, for every $1 of UST, we have $1 of actual US dollars that are that are backing it, it's managed very different. There is no collateral backing it at all. And the way that it maintains its peg is through the use of a completely separate token called Luna. And uh, so we've got the UST stablecoin pegged to the dollar. Luna is not pegged to to the dollar. So it's a volatile token similar to like ETH or BTC fluctuates in price. And it's used to absorb volatility that UST faces. And all of this happens uh, and is built on a, a completely independent blockchain called the Terra blockchain. And you'll you'll hear and we'll talk a little bit about the the founder of the Terra blockchain and ecosystem, Do Kwan, uh, very shortly. But what's kind of important to just very briefly understand is how UST maintains its peg. So <clears throat> the the premise of this is that there should always be enough Luna in circulation that one dollar's worth of Luna could be swapped at any time for one UST. So it, there's there's this idea of this one-to-one backing of Luna, right? And, but Luna fluctuates in price a lot. But the idea here is when the peg of USD, so the price of USD drops slightly below $1, you can exchange or burn one UST for $1 worth of Luna. So what that means is you will give over that one UST that maybe is worth like point. Nine nine cent. Uh, well, ninety nine cent, for example, it's just below uh, one dollar, and you'll get one dollars worth of Luna. So you've actually made a gain. There's some arbitrage, right? And what, but what that does to UST is that UST that you handed over, it isn't just traded; it's actually burned. It's completely taken out of circulation, so that the total supply of UST contracts. So you're you're building in like scarcity through supply contraction to maintain a peg, which creates upward uh, price pressure, bringing it back up to that $1 mark. Conversely, when UST price is above $1, you can exchange or burn $1 worth of Luna for one UST. So let's imagine like UST is worth, one UST is worth $1.02. You can give your $1 worth of Luna and get back one UST and you've made like a two cent margin on that. And of course, you you can give as many lunar as you want. And what that will do is it will mint net new UST, will will increase the supply of UST, therefore putting downward pressure. And the idea here is that the arbitrage that happens between these two maintains this $1 peg. That that is the idea. Does that, have I explained that simply uh, or, or, uh, or clearly enough, do you think, Austin? 
I think it makes sense. Yeah. And we've certainly like seen this paradigm with other stable coins as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got things like uh, Frax, which is probably one of the other big ones. I think the big thing here with uh, the whole tariff ecosystem. So UST had an $18 billion market cap last week. Luna, had, uh, the, the Luna token had a market cap of $30 billion uh, last week. Then there's also this extra uh, kind of piece to all of this, which is the Anchor Protocol. Now, here's why UST was so popular, is one of the big benefits that have been cited about UST is that you can take your UST, you can deposit it into Anchor Protocol, which has been kind of branded as like the savings account of, of crypto, and you will get a roughly 20% APR on paid out in UST for just holding UST into that uh, that kind of quote-unquote savings account. Incredibly popular. And has almost been branded here as like a safe haven during times of volatility, which we are in right now. So loads of individuals, loads of funds, VCs, and uh, big institutions have been... Um, have been have been holding you uh, storing UST for this really high yield, and the 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 other thing that adds on top of this is which which is why we'll come to see uh, what has kind of come to the fore is <clears throat> there's also a lending aspect to the anchor protocol as well. So what you can do is you can take Luna, which maybe you purchased on the open market, you can deposit Luna as collateral inside uh, Anchor and borrow UST against it. You can borrow up to around about 60% of your collateral's value of Luna in UST. So you could hold a load of UST and what, uh, sorry, hold a load of Luna, deposit it into Anchor Protocol, borrow UST, so 60% of that. So you're going to keep a hold of that Luna. You've got UST that you can put to work. What a lot of people do, take that UST, throw it into Anchor Protocol, gain the APR of 20%, and actually that negates any borrowing fees and you're just creating additional margin. And people go crazy with this a little bit more where they'll like leverage and leverage again into this huge loop. Uh, but that to one side. <laughs> this this sounds a little bit like a bit of a Ponzi scheme, right? And you may be thinking, hmm, is this just like a straight up Ponzi? And it's like, uh, it's not technically a straight up Ponzi, but there is some serious Ponzi-nomics at play here. <laughs> so why <laughs> so anyway so of course <clears throat> this brings us to what has happened recently over the course of the past couple days effectively ust has faced a severe de-pegging event as i alluded to earlier where the peg has dropped to as low as 30 cents on wednesday it's been really volatile over the course of the past three days currently it's around 42 cents as of recording this podcast which it looks like we're in another massive sell-off uh, right now. So likely by the time that this goes live, that figure will have changed. Um, so the market cap, of course, has severely dropped as a result of this from the, the $18 billion market cap that we were at last week as well. And this has caused some expected collateral damage. Luna, its price has tanked 99% during the space of the week from $87 to about one cent 
today, which means that the market cap is now at around $280 million. So as you can imagine, this has completely wrecked a lot of people. Oh, um, Luna had been branded as a low risk savings account, right? So a lot of people, and this includes larger investment companies, had tied up their assets in UST during the recent turbulence in the market. Um, a large percentage of people also had leverage um, they, they had leveraged their position in Luna using the Anchor Protocol, as Matt had sort of described earlier, which is that protocol on the Terra blockchain. And so they were, they were basically creating loans in UST for that figure up to 60% of the value of their, their Luna collateral. So what happens is like if Luna price drops below a certain point, your collateral will be liquidated to pay off your position plus a large fee, which is effectively how a lot of people ha have been uh, getting wrecked in, in, as a result of this. And it's it's happening, happening at such a fast pace. I mean, yeah, it's just like cr crazy. I mean, thankfully, I didn't have any exposure personally to the Terra ecosystem. Um, that I am incredibly thankful for. This has had a huge knock-on effect into Bitcoin and ETH, uh, ETH where I'd had leverage positions previously. Um, and we're going to see that more and more. And we're going to dig into a bit why that has actually happened in, in a moment. But, you know, one of the really kind of awful things was, you know, we were watching this happen in real time over the past few days, just watching Twitter uh, I, I was I was hearing today there's been a huge spike in um, calls to like suicide hotlines. Like people, everyday people have tr lost their life savings in this in such a short period of time. You know, in in crypto, we have been through these drops historically where um, there, like if I think back to, and I, I seem to remember an episode we had at the start of 2018 that we titled it's a bloodbath out there. I don't know if you remember that one. We were talking about yeah. like the, the 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 gradual dropping of Ethereum uh, or Ether price. And a lot of these like drops and bear markets, they don't happen in 48 hours, right? They, they are a long, gradual bleeding out. This is just unprecedented that this kind of drop has happened. It's such the scale that it has in such a short period of time. And here's, here's where things get uh, really interesting. Well, I, I guess it depends. I'm sure it's not super interesting if you are one of the incredibly unfortunate people that have lost a whole lot of money on this. But I want to unpack how this has all happened. This, this isn't just a random event. This has been a very targeted set of trades that have been carried out by an unidentified individual or group that we don't know who's responsible yet. Um, I guess you could call it an attack. We'll, we'll refer to the individual individuals as the attacker in this situation. But it's worth noting here that everything that they have done is completely legitimate. Um, there's been no hacking involved. This isn't an exploit. Uh this is ultimately a set of trades that have caused this to happen. Um, and what's the result of this is they have been able to create a complete DPEG of UST and simultaneously cash in on a short position in Bitcoin. And this has actually generated an estimated $800 million of profit for them in around 48 hours. And which, yeah, I don't know about you, Austin, but that is... A pretty monumental payday to to take from all this. 
irrespective yeah. of the collateral damage that they have caused uh, along the way. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we're looking at here is something that feels very like Soros-esque, but yes. we're just dealing with cryptocurrencies. It's a different <clears throat> version of a similar story. Definitely. So <clears throat> so let's let's dig into to what happened here. So as we mentioned earlier, UST doesn't have any like hard collateral uh, backing it other than really like the uh, the Luna that's used, which I don't think you can necessarily call as collateral. And then they also had a small amount of USDC, um, a couple of other small amounts of assets that they would use in terms of when things are depegging to uh, sell and uh, create like upward pressure on the, the UST price. But in late March of this year, the Luna Foundation Guard, uh, aptly named LFG, uh, acquired pretty large volumes of Bitcoin. This is around 25,000 BTC, so uh, about $1.1 billion um, in, in late March, around about a $42,000 Bitcoin price. And the idea here is that they would hold this Bitcoin um, and it would be used to sell and defend the peg in extreme situations. Um, now, around the same time, we, we believe, the unidentified attacker took out a loan of 100,000 Bitcoins. So around about $4.2 billion worth of Bitcoin, if we assume it was around about the same price of 42K. So let's let's just set, set the scene here. This is an incredibly well-backed attacker. This is not just a everyday person, right? This is probably someone with a severe amount of wealth that they they have or, or an armory at their at their disposal. So <clears throat> simultaneously from taking out this loan of 100,000 bitcoins uh through which we don't actually know where they took out that loan just yet and there's a lot of speculation around that. The the attacker also accrued a position over a period of time of around about $1 billion worth of UST. So the the, the stable coin uh, on the Terra ecosystem. And they did this all via over-the-counter trades. So um, not just on like the public market. Now, one big story that happened uh, from about two weeks ago, I tweeted about this at the time, uh, was uh, LFG announced the opening of 4Pool. And if uh, this is a major new liquidity pool on Curve, and if you're not that familiar with Curve, it is just the number one source of liquidity across pretty much like any of the uh, the the decentralized the DeFi markets um, for stable coins. And <clears throat> what the idea here would was from the Luna Foundation Guard was that they wanted to set up a new major stablecoin pool made up of, um, I'm trying to remember now, it's UST, Frax, uh, I think USDC and maybe Tether. Um, I could be slightly wrong in that, but I think that's right. Uh, but I know it didn't include DAI. Uh, that was the, the main thing here. And currently and historically, 3Pool, which is made up of Tether, USDC, DAI, is the major and deepest liquidity pool. This is why those are the three... Um, most backed and stable, like stable coins on, on the market right now. Now, <clears throat> in anticipation of launching 4Pool, what UST previously had was a separate pool. And apologies if this is getting a little bit technical here, but it's just you don't necessarily need to understand all of the pieces around Curve. All that you need to understand is that 
it's really important to have these deep pools of liquidity where you can trade between stable coins so that if people need to swap between UST or DAI and USDC and DAI and uh, Tether and DAI, et cetera, et cetera, there needs to be a huge amount of liquidity in the pools so people can trade between. When that liquidity gets much, much lower or imbalanced, i.e. there's very little USDT or there's a huge amount more of USDT than the other stable coins, it creates fluctuations in prices. Um, so they announced four pool. And as part of this, they removed $250 million of liquidity from what was their largest pool on Curve, which was the UST plus three pool pool. And they take it out to use it in four pool, which they were going to be deploying very shortly. Now, once this happened and the, uh, the three pool liquidity was much lower, the attacker used $350 million of their 1 billion UST uh, that they'd been accruing to completely drain all of the liquidity from the UST plus three pool. So effectively what they did is they went in and bought up all of the other stable coins except for UST in that pool with their 350 million. This is only really possible because of the fact that LFG removed so much liquidity. Otherwise, they'd have had to spend a huge amount more to do this. And this was the first moment where the peg of UST started to wobble, dropped kind of between 98 and 97 cents. And that hadn't ever happened before. And that in itself is significant, but it, it, that alone is not enough to create the spiral that we saw. And as a result, LFG decided to immediately defend the peg by selling a portion of their Bitcoin. Now, everyone knew that they would do that. And importantly, the attacker knew that they would do that because they'd said that well, that's what this was cause, um, that's what it was for. But them selling that chunk of Bitcoin caused a slight drop in the Bitcoin price. Remember, the attacker has taken out a 100,000 Bitcoin loan at around about 42k uh, worth of um, price point of Bitcoin. So this has caused a slight drop in Bitcoin price. Then the attacker dumps the remaining 650 million of UST on the open market via Binance. So it's just flooding the market with sell pressure on UST. And this causes a huge amount of panic. There is a severe DPEG. UST drops below uh, 70 cents. In fact, like one of the crazy things, Austin, I, I saw was Binance actually had to enable a feature that allowed people to even sell uh, or buy, uh, like set up trades below the 70 cent mark because they'd never even accounted for that being that low. Possible, yeah. It's just crazy. And there was just not enough. So people are panicking. It's dropping. The first place they would go to get out of UST is not really Binance. It's Curve, usually. But there's no liquidity in Curve. So all of this is getting centralized into exchanges. There's huge spreads between the different exchanges. Arbitrage is happening. It's driving the price down. And people really start to panic. And I think this is where we start to see things spiral, right? Yeah. I mean, this is where we really began to see this huge drop in the price as the panic selling of Luna really began. And so LFG ends up selling a much larger position in their Bitcoin to defend the peg, which then caused 
a larger downward trend in BTC price. It actually dropped 25% from that 42K mark to around 32K. And then today, of course, we've we've like been under 30K actually for quite some mm. time. At least it's what it feels like to me. Yeah, uh, it feels like a long time. <laughs> it does at this point. Yeah, minutes can, can uh, feel like hours when it's changing so fast. And so at this point, it becomes clear that the mechanism to stabilize the peg with Luna actually isn't working and people are unwilling to burn UST for Luna as it's in a downward spiral of its own. So people want out. And then this causes a bank run on UST as there's no clear path to restoring the peg in sight. Meanwhile, tons of people are getting liquidated from leveraged positions in Luna, losing all of their savings. And now that BTC is down to under 30K, the attacker can buy back their entire position. So this factors in all of the additional expenses that they've incurred, and they'll still come away with about $800 million in profit. It's literally the perfect story, and many are comparing it, as I sort of did earlier, to what George Soros did in the 90s when he shorted uh, GBP. It's it's just wild. It, it's unbelievable. And the... The, the the this is where we're now seeing you know everyone's talking about like UST initially and like the the impact on that but you know we're seeing huge knock on effects on BTC on ETH because you know they're correlative assets and a huge amount of all of this is still around confidence um, much less so than when we were in kind of the the 2017 2018 era but it, it's still a huge amount um, dictating price and. People have been absolutely wrecked here. I mean, I'm just looking like all of the charts, uh, UST, Luna, they're just like falling knives. And uh, it's so many people have been scrambling to try and initially support the price, maybe like double down. And I saw a lot of people doubling down when Luna was tanking and saying, okay, I'm I'm losing a huge amount, but I'm going to double down and buy more at a much lower price. And yeah, yesterday, I uh, I think we were talking, we were saying, wow, Luna has hit $1. And uh, let, let me just see, where are we at right now? Uh, oh, wow, we are below one cent. We're at 0.74 of a cent right now in the price of Luna. That is just, I, I just can't see there, there being a recovery happening here. Um, I mean, no doubt the Luna Foundation uh, sorry, the Luna ecosystem and Terra ecosystem will rebuild something, but I don't see any way that this gets back to to where we're at. And, you know, one of the things that I think it, we want to call out here, so Do Kwan, the founder of Terra, he has been someone that has just been consistently in the headlines. He is, <clears throat> his hubris, his uh, arrogance has been something that a lot of the Luna and Terra community have kind of really enjoyed i think he like um, i'm gonna forget the amount right now but i think he took out like a 200 million dollar bet that luna with like someone on twitter that uh luna wouldn't uh, sorry that ust wouldn't lose its peg um he's just even throughout all of this fiasco that's happened has remained largely silent <clears throat> and then only yesterday evening i saw him post out a tweet with some plans for how they were going to work on stabilizing the price but then something else has been uncovered today which 
this stuff really shouldn't surprise me, but it just does. And, you know, <clears throat> it's just been revealed today that Doquan was actually part of another very high profile, albeit in a way, 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 way smaller scale, um, failed algorithmic stablecoin project called Basis Cash. Um, like, you can't even write this stuff. He went under the, the pseudonym Rick Sanchez. Um, like, you know, <clears throat> it's... Uh, it, it wasn't disclosed. He's never mentioned this. And now it's being uncovered. This is just, I think there needs to be a real lesson here around these personalities, these huge, like almost cult-like figureheads that we've seen over the past few months in particular, tons of projects all crashing down largely due to um, the kind of figureheads at the top of them. Um, and, and it's really sad as so many people are going to get really burned here. And one, one, one last thing I'll say on this is, you know, there's a lot of people, I see people on Twitter and they're like, well, how could you put your, your savings into this? It's your own fault. You're an idiot, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the thing that I'll call out here, this isn't just like some degen platform where it's only just like crypto natives that are playing around. Like, look, I've been burned on stuff in like the the phantom ecosystem and stuff where it's just I, I know what I'm doing here. It's it's a complete gamble and this is super high risk stuff. The whole focus and the whole message around the Luna ecosystem has been this is a safe haven for volatility. This is a stable coin. Right. It had a huge market cap. It had all of this backing and now a $1.1 billion treasury of Bitcoin, which feels crazy to me that they would also try and back their stablecoin with a asset that's highly correlative to any downward spiral, right? Like that that's never good. Um, and yeah, everyday people that were just looking to get some quote unquote low risk exposure to crypto chose Anchor Protocol and uh, and and uh, locked up their, their Luna or, or locked up their UST for that 20% uh, yield. And just so many people have got burned here and it's and it is not necessarily the people that will always just come back uh from from this and make a ton i i keep seeing that and and i'm sure it's it's really important in situations where you've lost a lot to remain positive but i really feel for a lot of people on, on this right now yeah i have a suspicion that this is not the last time we will be talking about this story in one form mm. or another so the conversation will continue. 100%. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say on this is this is absolutely going to put a fire under regulators' ass to probably make some sweeping moves on this. I saw Janet Yellen has already, like, yesterday was talking about this in, uh, I think, Congress, and it's just already making headlines. Um, if If we thought that we were kind of out of the water on just sweeping uneducated regulation. Uh, I, I am actually pro-regulation for a lot of this stuff, but I think there needs to be a lot of thought that goes into it. I have a feeling there's going to be a serious knee-jerk reaction to this, and this is not good for the space overall. Yeah, that's exactly what I had in mind, Matt. I think we'll be doing another couple legal roundups <laughs> like we did last week. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's oh. let's take a breather from from UST. Uh, this is a, a, a super intense uh, topic, and it's unfolding 
literally as we're talking still. Um, so we'll recap on some of this, but why don't we jump into a couple more of our just uh, smaller but uh, interesting stories of the day outside of this. Yeah, so outside of the market meltdown, um, some cool things are happening in Web3. Meta is currently developing a new high-end VR headset. It's called Project Cambria. There's a lot of speculation around this um, when it was first announced several months ago. And originally, it was rumored to be just a more advanced Oculus, or now called Meta Quest device, um, which would be, of course, targeted at consumers. But it turns out it looks like it's actually aimed at work. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg clarified this in their latest earnings call. He said, later this year, we'll release a higher end headset codenamed Project Cambria, which will be more focused on work use cases and eventually replacing your laptop or work setup. Um, this is really intriguing to me because I think that if we look at uh, a lot of like mass adoption and um, growth of like throughout technological revolutions, you know, thinking about like web two, but also thinking outside of that, um, people tend to point at like entertainment and games and things like that as like huge driving factors. And certainly they are to a degree, but really productivity has always been a significant component of that. And in my opinion is a little bit of like a litmus test for whether a technology is ready for the main stage. And so I think that that's maybe what Project Cambria is shaping up to be, or at least a component of that for Web3. Like, is this something, is VR, or in this case, it, it looks like it actually may not just be a VR headset, but an XR headset. So it has an AR component, even though it is like a fully closed off um, headset, it would be bringing in like components from the, the analog world uh, into the digital experience, which of course you could imagine the work related applications to that. And like, is this ready? Is this something that people are like willing to adopt in a work context? And is it actually productive? Um, I'm going to be paying attention to this because I think that if it does gain even a small amount of traction, it's something that the company is going to double down on and continue to invest in. And, and we know that they certainly have the capital um, to make a significant impact here. Yeah. Do you, do you think, do you get the sense that, that this is somewhat of a litmus test? Like, I, I, I think it's, it's really easy to kind of poo poo all over this, right. And say, ah, this is just stupid. Nobody wants this, et cetera. But, and the high likelihood that this is a breakout success, in my opinion, is very low. However, yeah. you know, for there to be changes in user behavior and like just general like patterns, someone has to do something like this to begin with. And most of the time, the early like the early innovators here aren't the the successful pieces. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I don't really know what to make of this. Uh, and I, and I I think it's more of a what is Meta's strategy? I'd be very surprised if they think this is going to be like the breakout success. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that there is like much evidence to indicate that this is like a breakout success as much as it, is, it, as, it is, as you indicated, uh, a litmus test. And uh, like a litmus test for the technology, but maybe also for Meta's strategy, which is currently, I would say, in a little bit of a threatened position, given their market performance. Of course, you know, yeah. th there there have been challenges across the board, but I think Meta has been a bit of a standout for um, some of the headwinds that, that they faced. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I do view this as a litmus test. And that's as somebody that isn't really like super bullish on XR um, being ready for the mainstream and certainly not at work yet, even though I, you know, I love using an Oculus or, or an HTC Vive or whatever it may be. They're fantastic. Um, there are huge user experience challenges and also just like psychological challenges um to to overcome with this and i don't think that like especially after the last two years anybody's super enthusiastic to jump on the you're going to be a virtual avatar train um at work but uh i think that even a modest amount of traction and adoption in the workplace would be a pass on this litmus test um and could spur out new use cases and investment in R&D. So certainly an area to keep an eye on. Um, outside of that, I also wanted to mention, you know, as, as we look at the regulatory changes that are happening in a positive direction for crypto, Portugal is now allowing real estate purchases in Bitcoin after relaxing its laws toward cryptocurrencies. And yeah, it's kind of cool. A two-bedroom apartment in, in Braga was the first to be sold for about three Bitcoins, which is, uh, I, at the time it was about $116,000. <laughs> of course it's not anymore. <laughs> it's now a hundred thousand. Oh no, wait, it's now 90,000. Oh no, wait, it's an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course this is not something that's entirely new. We have seen Bitcoin used in real estate deals in places like the U S Singapore and Colombia, but the growth of it, especially in an area that has, I think kind of struggled to find its, approach to cryptocurrencies um, is really interesting. Yeah, they're they're really trying to be a a Web3 hub in Portugal, in particular in Lisbon. I I see a lot of this uh, obviously now being much more entrenched in the Web3 space. You can see a huge amount of talent is inside Portugal. I think there's on one hand, um, they've laxed huge amount of tax laws for um, immigrants to Portugal, uh, especially those working in tech. And alongside that, uh, yeah, they're becoming very, very crypto friendly. I think it's a very strategic move. Um, and I think they've, you know, they've encouraged a lot of the big tech conferences to move over there over the past few years. And uh, they're doing the same with Web3. I'm, I'm interested to, to see what comes out of Portugal over the next five to 10 years. I'm sure there's going to be a lot going on there, but certainly an interesting story. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. This has been a a bit of a bumper episode of our uh, our regular weekly broadcast, but um, obviously a huge amount going on. And uh, we we would love to hear any of your thoughts. If you've been involved and kind of caught up in the whole Terra ecosystem, we'd, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. And uh, as, as this develops, we'll, we'll be sure to keep everyone updated. Um, but until next week, I'll, I'll see you then, Austin. Talk to you later, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.